right, praise the Lord. Somebody say, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Keep your scripture open to Psalm 103. And we're going to look at this psalm today. It's the psalm of King David. Psalm 103. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2 once again. Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Somebody say, bless the Lord again. Forget not all his benefits. Say that. Remember his benefits. You know, uh, in this passage, if you look on the NIV, it actually translates bless the Lord as praise the Lord. How, do you, how many of you guys know actually who study Hebrew uh, where what Hebrew word represents praise the Lord? All of you know the answer. Hallelujah, right? Hallelujah, Yahweh, right? Yahweh means uh, the Lord, a uh, Hebrew name for uh, God. And then hallelujah, it just means praise the Lord. Hallelujah, right? And uh, in the NIV, it actually translates verses 1 and 2, praise the Lord, O my soul, and uh, forget not all his benefits, all that is within me, praise his holy name. But in actuality, the word there is not hallelujah, it's barak, which means bless. And I know that in our English use of the word bless, we often think of God blessing man. When's the last time you talked to your friend and were like, I'm, I'm going to go and bless the Lord today. You know something? I got something to give to God and it's going to bless him. I'm just going to go and bless him today. And we don't really use the word blessed in that way. But uh, the Hebrews did. In the Jewish culture, uh, the word blessing was not just limited to God blessing his people. It was also used and reserved for people or objects or uh, things or God that was held in high esteem. So it was an appropriate thing for you to say, bless the Lord. So say that. Bless the, Lord. bless the Lord. This word Barak, the uh, Hebrew word, appears over 300 times. And almost every time it is translated as the word bless. That's why we recommend the literal translation of the Bible here when we do Bible study. Because the literal translations will all have bless the Lord. Uh, but dynamic equivalents will kind of interpret it for you and just put praise the Lord. Because culturally we don't use the word bless in that way. But I want you to get that in your heart, in your spirit, that it is an appropriate thing for you to bless the Lord. I think it's a cool picture. You know what I mean? Let's say God is having a bad day. Not that God has a bad day. What if he's just having a bad day and you just come before him and you just say something to God that just blesses his heart. And he's just like, man, I love you, Mark Rado. Man, you just really... Just bless me today. You know, you know, a lot of people were doing their quiet times this morning. But what Diane Wheat said to me this morning in her quiet times really blessed my heart. You know what I mean? We have an ability to relate to God in such a way that we are a delight and a blessing onto his heart. Amen? He, he loves us. He delights in us. And uh, we can be a blessing onto God as we bless and praise his name. Now, the verse I want to focus on today is verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not 
all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. How many of you guys in, in here know that as Christians, that we have a tendency to forget things? We have selective memory. And when times get tough, even if we have amazing seasons with God and we saw God's answer prayer, God do healing, God just do amazing things on mission trips with signs and wonders, we still get selective memory. And we tend to forget all that God has done and all that God gives us access to. And the psalmist here says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him, forget not all his benefits. And the psalmist here, he actually mentions four things here, but I'm going to only focus on two. I'm going to only focus on verse three. Uh, there are four things here he mentions. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, that's one. Who heals all your disease, that's two. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, that's three. And who satisfies you with good. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That's four. So there are four benefits the psalmist mentions right away as he says, forget not all his benefits. But I'm going to focus on two today. That's mentioned here in verse three. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Brothers and sisters, how many know in here that when you come to Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all your iniquity, all your sins, all your transgressions, past, present, and future, they get wiped clean. They get forgiven. And by the way, let me remind you, this forgiveness does not have an expiration date. Some people think that when they start really messing up, that that forgiveness of God has an expiration date. It's like, you know what? Forgiveness of God applied to me when I was doing real good, when I was having my quiet time. But right now, man, I don't think that forgiveness, I just don't feel that forgiveness. I don't think it's true. I just feel so just distant from God, dirty. I just feel just, yeah, that forgiveness has run out for me. And that's a lie of the enemy. The forgiveness of God is everlasting. Amen? Amen. When you get forgiven, you get forgiven permanently and for all of eternity. That's good news. And here's a metaphor the, the psalmist gives us. Look at verse 10 through 12. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And check this out, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Amen. Now, you don't have to be a geometry genius to figure this out. But just think about it for a moment. If you start heading out of this building and you go exactly, you have, let's say you have an iPhone or a compass and you know where west is and you start running and walking west 
And let's say there's no buildings or mountains to, to uh, hinder your path. You just keep going west. And you keep going thousands of miles west. You go three weeks west. Will you ever meet east? Okay, the answer is no. <laughs> you keep going west. You're just going to see more of west. You're never going to meet east. If you go east, you're never going to meet west either. You know, isn't that kind of funny though? Um, that we call Europe and America the Western world. And then we call Asia and China and Korea the Eastern, the, the East. They call, we call this Asia the East. And, uh, that's kind of interesting. Cause for Native Americans, you know, Asia is the West. Right? That, am I getting this right? Yeah, Asia is the West. Yeah, and the only reason why the West is called the West is because uh, the center, uh, I might be wrong, all right? I might be historically inaccurate, but I'm just going to go for it because I'm crazy like that. Uh, I believe the, 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 um, the Greek Orthodox Church was in Constantinople. And so I think it's from that point, everything West was considered Western, like um, uh, Greek uh, Hellenistic culture, Roman Empire, all those things are a result of Western influence. And then the East represents like the Greek Orthodox Church. The Roman Catholic Church went to West, Greek, I mean, West to you here. And then the Greek Orthodox Church went East, and that was considered East. But then later on, East became uh, Asia as the, as the whole world was being discovered. Everybody with me? That's how we got West and Western, those terms. Just... To clarify, the, the Eastern Greek Orthodox Church is not considered the West. It's a different set of values and cultures and thinking. But the, uh, the Western Church, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, it was very um, logical, rational, uh, you know, based upon Aristotle and all these like Greek thinkers and, and geniuses. You know, it's kind of pushed that way, very rational. That's why the form of Christianity we find in the West is very like dignified, you know, very academic, you know, and admittedly the best seminaries in the world will be found in the Western world. Like you go down to Indonesia, you go to India, the Philippines, you know, there are some passionate Christians there, but you don't have like very good, like academic scholastic type of seminaries there because a lot of that came from the West. Anyway, let me get out of there. The East never meets the West. Hallelujah. And the Bible says, that is how far the Lord has removed your transgressions from you. The East, it is a geometric impossibility for the East to meet the West. And so in that sense, it is a geometric impossibility for your sins, for you to ever be reunited with your sins. It's separated from you. That's good news. That is a major benefit, amen? That is an amazing benefit. And when you really understand this, it starts to not only give you an understanding of your right standing with God, a holy God. It, it, it doesn't even uh, just touch upon you going to heaven after you die. But it actually starts to touch other areas of your life. For example, your self-esteem. Your identity. You know, a lot of people, 
When you meet them, you will say, hey, how you doing? What's your name? My name is Christian. All right, Kiana. How you doing, Kiana? What you do? Hey, what do you do? Oh, yeah, you're a teacher? All right, you're a teacher? Well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. That's what I do. I'm a pastor. And uh, uh, what do you do? Yeah, what? I'm a, I'm a scientist. Okay, you're a scientist? Well, I'm a medical doctor. I'm a lawyer, right? And a lot of times when we introduce ourselves to each other, our identity is wrapped up in what we do. It's wrapped up in our profession. <clears throat> or it's wrapped up, if you went to a good school, it's wrapped up in the school you went to. If you, if you went to a bad school, oh, you don't even mention the school you went to. But our identity oftentimes is wrapped up in the things we do or like the schools we went to or things that we, you know, feel like accomplished in. You know, if you, if you're in here and you sold a hundred thousand music records and we didn't know, you know, I mean, if I were you, I would introduce myself and I'll say, my name is Christian and I went platinum. <laughs> How you doing? You know? Because we all have a tendency to wrap our identity on the things we do and accomplished. But here's the thing. When you lose your job, what happens to your identity? And that's why I like this financial recession that's shaking the entire world. It's devastating a lot of American Christians. Because their identity is wrapped up in their profession. So the moment they lose their profession, they hit depression. Why? Because they don't know who they are. They don't have a sense of value anymore. They don't feel worth. I'm not useful. I'm not valuable. And so, man, that's just like a, 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 just a sure, easy way to hit depression is if you wrap up your identity on the things that you do. But you see... As God's people, we got to be careful. We have to be careful that we never wrap our identity around things that we do. But we got to wrap our identity in who God says we are. We're called human beings for a reason. You know, my old mentor used to say in college, God is more interested in who you are becoming than what you can do for him. And being uh, of a temperament that's very goal-oriented, I'm a very choleric temperament, you know, I, I'm driven. I go for the goals. I, I, I find sense of value and worth like Martha did in the things that I do. That was a paradigm shift for me. He said God is more interested in who you are becoming. Your character. Are you able to govern your spirit and not lose your temper? Are you able to drive down the road and have somebody cut you off and not start saying something? Or try to get back in front of them? And then at the red light, roll down your window and just look at them like. No. By the way, it doesn't work in Korea. Don't do it. I just used to be like, huh? You know, they, they'll go all confused. In, in Korea, actually, if you're younger, if you're younger looking, you're just supposed to apologize and that's it. They, know, they just get over it. But, you know, in America, you know, they go into the trunk. They take out a baseball bat. I mean, you got to watch out. If you're ever in Philly... Don't, don't ever get out of your car. Somebody else gets out their car. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. But where was I? We are called, we are called human beings for a reason because we weren't meant to get our sense of worth and identity from the things we do. Rather, it was supposed to be rooted in relationship. 
You see, if you lose your job, but your identity is based on who you are in Christ, who you are before God in relationship with God, it's okay if you lose your job. Because God can give you another job. God can give you a better job. Where he may close one door, he'll open up even a better door for you. And let's say you can't find a job. Even after you thought you were going to get a job, you can't find a job. Let's say you go 10 months, you apply for jobs, and everybody closes their door on your face. And you just feel like a loser. And you just feel like a peksu. The, the never-ending peksu. Even if that is your experience, if your identity is rooted in who God is and who God says you are, it's all gravy. It's all right. Important thing is, during this entire time, are you relating with God? During this entire time, are you growing in character? Are you growing in attributes and integrity and the fruit of the Spirit in such a way that no matter where you're placed, you can prosper? No matter where you are placed, you can work with other people? You know what I mean? We're, we're, we're human beings for a reason. Is because our sense of worth and identity was never meant to be wrapped up in things that we do. You know, here's the thing. And, you know, God forbid this would ever happen. But if I got fired next week as the lead pastor of New Philadelphia Church, let's say Pastor Huang just has a really, really bad day. And he listens to one of my sermons and he's like, you know what? Now, I don't like Pastor Christian anymore. Let's just fire Pastor Christian and let's put... Um, Mark you in charge, all right? So, I don't know. They, so they, they, let's say I get fired. <clears throat> Can I just tell you? I will be all right. It would be devastating, yeah. I will be heartbroken. I'm going to miss all y'all. But I will be all right. You know, I will be all right because I know that my sense of worth isn't wrapped up in me leading the church. It's rooted in God. I mean, if war broke out, I might no longer be your pastor either. You know, let's say North Korea decided to invade. Now, not, God forbid. Now, we're, we're trusting the Lord for reunification. But let's say North Korea just gets crazy. You know how they are. And it's like, we want to talk to past, uh, uh, President Im Young-bak. And then next week, they're like, you know, we must destroy all those American elitists, those American friends, those South Koreans. We must destroy them. They just start bombarding the city. And no more New Philadelphia. If I survive that attack, I'm going to be all right. If God places me in Japan, Indonesia, I go, so I go somewhere else, it's all right. You know, for some people, their sense of worth and identity is mixed up, is wrapped up in their um, relationships with friends. <clears throat> you know, in high school, just come on. In high school, where did we get our sense of worth? I mean, if you were a cool guy at school, you got your sense of worth from the cool friends you hung out with. Now, if you weren't cool, you got your sense of worth from chess or whatever else you did. <laughs> All right. <coughs> but for the rest of us that were actually cool, well, we, we got our sense of worth from our friends, you know? And so we made sure that we chose cool friends because we got our sense of worth from our friends. You know, obviously, 
you know, that doesn't last long. The moment you graduate high school, all that is meaningless. You're like, what was that all about? <laughs> you know, you get to college, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> people are a lot more open. People are like more embracing, accepting, you know. Um, actually, it has to do with human development, why adolescents act that way. They grow out of it usually by college age. They don't feel the need to have an exclusive group. Anyway, uh, other people, they base their sense of identity and self-worth on family relationships. And so, you know, we see this all the time. You know, we see young people, they want to go on mission trips with us. And then they start support raising and giving out support raising letters. And then the Korean parents would be like, whoa, 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 what are these support raising letters about? My son and daughter is not going to go around begging for money. I don't want you to go on this trip anymore. Yeah, Korean parents do that. Oh, really? And then uh, these students are like, oh, man, Pastor Christian, why is everything falling apart? You know, I just feel so distant from God. And uh, I'm like, hey, just pray a little bit, push through and see if your parents' hearts change. And they're like, no, I just, I just, I just can't go and I can't even come out to church anymore. And, <laughs> and they're just so devastated because their sense of worth is based on their family relationships. And sometimes there's unhealthy soul ties that people have with their mama. It's called a mama's boy syndrome. <laughs> I mean, I've seen grown men make very unhealthy decisions. Especially when marriage starts coming up. The way some men deal with their marriage relationships, it shows whether they have that soul tie with their mom or not. If their mom's able to go, and they go this way, and their mom says, no, and they go, I'm sorry, honey, but I have to say no. If they're getting controlled and manipulated by their mom, that's an unhealthy soul tie. But that's because... Their sense of worth and identity is wrapped up in those family relationships. Brothers and sisters, the one place we should get our the weight, the weightiness of our worth and identity needs to be in God. So that if if your job falls away or friends walk away, or you know, some of y'all will get married and you will be able to identify who your true friends are. I'm sorry. It happens to everybody. When you get married, I don't know if Chris and Shelley's experience, but when you get married, you find out who your true friends are. Because your friends, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, like with BFFs, BFFs. The moment you're like, I'm engaged, they're like, I hate you. <laughs> well, or they don't say it. They're like, oh, I'm really happy for you. I'm really happy for you. And then you're like, hey, you want, can you help out with the wedding? Can you help out with this? They're like, yeah, yeah, I'll get back to you. And, you know, they never get back. You know, or, you know, they like, they, they don't acknowledge the person that you're pursuing. You know, hey, uh, I want to set up a dinner for you to meet my fiance. I want you to meet my boyfriend. I want you to, I'm really, we're really serious. You know, this is a godly relationship that we feel like God's taking to marriage. You know, can you meet my friend? And they'd be like, um, mm, yeah. Man, where am I going with all this? <laughs> Identity. It needs to be wrapped up in your relationship with God. <clears throat> now, the thing about your relationship with God is, coming back to the passage, is your iniquities are completely forgiven. Past, present, and future. So the Bible says in Romans 8, chapter, one, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. 
Now, Satan's still going to try to accuse you and condemn you, but guess what? That's illegal. There is no legal, he has no legal basis for him to do that to you. The only reason he keeps doing it to you is because you're allowing him to do it to you. Because you're not truly believing the word of God. You're not standing on the word of God. You're getting shaken around by all these accusing voices. But if you truly believe what this is saying, who forgives all your iniquity, the next time Satan says, man, look at what you did. You did a terrible job preaching up there. You're a terrible preacher. You should never preach again. Christian, man, your voice cracked ten times. You said, um, a whole bunch of times. You should just let Marcus and John Michael preach. You suck. You know, I hear stuff like that. If I hear something like that, I'd be like, nah. Nah, Satan. Even when I'm having a bad day, everything I'm doing is covered in love. It's covered with the grace of God. So that even in my weakness, God loves to choose to display his grace and his power. You know, I've preached terrible messages and have people come up to me and go, that was so powerful. <laughs> what you were saying was speaking right to me. And I'm like, were you listening to the same message that I was preaching? You know, and, and that goes to show that God's grace is at work. His grace is at work in people when, when, when I'm out there preaching. But, you know, anytime the devil accuses me like that, I just say, no, devil, there is no condemnation. You have no right. That is a trespass. You are a liar. And we need to, we need to call that out more often. When Satan lies to you, you, should, you shouldn't be like, all right, Satan, can I pray about that? Let me think about that and I'll get back to you. Thanks, Satan, for your input. <laughs> and that's how we treat a lot of the accusations of the enemy. The next time Satan accuses you and says, you shouldn't go on this mission trip. How dare you call yourself a community care pastor? Lydia, do you remember all the things you've done, all the failures and weaknesses you're holding? Judy, are you kidding me? You think you can live a new life? Right? When Satan comes at you like that, you just got to be like, Satan, you are a liar. I'm not letting those accusations stick to me. Because there is no condemnation here. I'm in Christ Jesus. All my iniquity is removed from me as far as the east from the west. Now, I know that's hard when, when, when you've sinned that day, you would think that that day you should feel quite guilty and quite feel, feel quite depressed and that you should spend at least like two or three hours being really like, you know, regretful and guilty and, oh, I'm a terrible sinner. And, you know, and, and I used to believe that. I used to believe that that's what we should do. Because, you know, if you sin and then you just come before God, I'm like, and you're like, God, I confess, I, I did it again. I'm, I'm sorry. And you just are cavalier about it. That seems a little bit off, right? So, you know, I always thought, you know, it's a good thing for you to like, be like, oh, Lord, I'm such a sinner. I'm such a failure. Loser. Oh, can't believe I did it again. God, I'm so sorry. God, I'm so, oh. You know, and I thought that was like appropriate. But... You know, around my college years, I used to do that all the time because you go to, you go to Presbyterian churches, right? And I grew up in the Presbyterian church. When you have the prayer confession come up, right? You know, somebody gets up there and, the, and when they pray, you know, when we pray here, you'll notice that people don't pray that way. 
Now, sometimes they're, they're doing it here and there, but most people don't come, come up here. Most Presbyterian churches, when the, when the corporate prayer comes up, the person prays like this. Lord, we have sinned so much this past week. And we have failed you. And we are just wicked sinners before you. And we confess our sin. And, and some people are actually feeling pretty good. They had a victorious week. But the moment that person prays that, they're like, oh, man. He's right. I ain't nothing but a sinner. You know, and I just thought that was appropriate. I thought that was normal. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, at some point in my Christian walk, the Lord said, um, you need to shorten that time. And I was like, what do you mean, Lord? You know, the time from when you sin to when you confess and believe that it's forgiven and it's removed from you. You need to shorten that time. I'm like, what are you talking about, Lord? I should, I should feel quite guilty. What if I take a couple hours? If I look at something dirty on the internet or something that I shouldn't look at, what if I take two hours and feel really bad about it and then confess? Isn't that the right thing to do? And the Lord's like, no. You need to shorten that time. The devil wants you to believe that confession is a sign of your defeat. That you failed again. That you've dropped the ball. That you've sinned. And it just shows you how much of a sinner you are. The devil wants to convince you that confession is a sign of your defeat. But I want you to believe that confession is your first step toward victory. So, why are you going to wait all that time? You believe my word? Just get up off that computer right now. Confess it on the spot. Turn away from it. And identify yourself as a saint who's forgiven and covered with the blood of my son, robed with crowns and garments of righteousness. I want you to wear garments of righteousness. And this is the picture we get in the parable of the prodigal son. You know, prodigal son takes all his father's wealth, squanders it on wild living and on prostitutes. Then a famine hits the land. And then he starts eating the pods that were given to pigs. And in Hebrew culture, pigs are the dirtiest animals out there. as a terrible thing for a Jew to be doing. And he just comes to his senses and, what am I doing? If I just go back to my father's house and I just serve as a butler or as a shoe polisher, I'm in a better position than this. Let me just go back to my father and um, let me rehearse my speech. Uh, uh, I'll say, Father, uh, I'm sorry. I've, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Uh, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Yeah, I'm going to rehearse the speech. I'm going to memorize it. And then when I get there, I'm going to say it to my father. And so he starts walking back to the house of the father. And although he's still far ways off, he feels distant from the father, by the way. He's still far ways off. The father sees him coming back. And the father runs to the prodigal son. Right? And you got to remember that the son has got this, you know, I'm sorry speech ready. And he's getting ready. He looks up. Is that my father? Why is he running? Is he going to tackle me? He's going to beat me up. What's, what's going on here? And he's like about to give his I'm sorry speech. 
Except he never finishes that I'm sorry speech. He never even gets to give it. Why? Because the father interrupts his I'm sorry speech with his welcome back speech. And the son is going, I can't, I don't deserve any of this. Why are you throwing a party for me, father? And the father's like, man, take off them nasty, dirty clothes. All right. Take off them. We smell like pigs. Where you been? Take off all them dirty clothes. That's not what my son's supposed to wear. You take off those dirty clothes. Hey, get a new garment for him. Put a new robe on him. Put a ring on his finger. Sandals for his feet. The father doesn't ask, do you feel sorry about what you've done? You know how much of my money you took? You know how hard it's been around here? Having to explain to all the neighbors what happened to the son? Oh, man, you need to stay out here in the field, all right? Man, I'll, I don't do that. And we got we to gotta shift our thinking of how God responds to us when we sin or we fail and we start taking steps to confess and come back to Him. We need to change our thinking. We need to get the, that, that, the picture of the Father running, the picture of the Father interrupting, you know? Like, you're like, Lord, I'm sorry. I looked at that stuff on the internet. I'm sorry. I lied to my mom. I'm sorry. And you're like, I'm sorry. And God's like, welcome back. You're forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, I've removed that transgression from you. You don't have to even articulate the entire speech. That's the thing. God just looks at your heart. He knows what words are going to overflow from that heart. And once he sees the heart of repentance, you're already back in. You don't have to wear a garment of guilt. The moment you come back to the Father, the moment you confess, is the moment that you are robed right back into His righteousness. There is no condemnation, brothers and sisters. No condemnation. Check out, check out verse 10 again. It says, God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. You guys believe that? Amen? Okay. If you guys really believe that, let me ask you a question. If God doesn't deal with you according to your sin and he doesn't repay you according to your iniquity, If God doesn't deal with you according to your sin, why do you do that to yourself? There's some of us in here, and we struggle with self-hatred or guilt. It's hard for us to shake off feelings of failure. Feelings of sinfulness and being dirty we feel like we can't get the stench of pigs off of our skin the stench of sin and the flesh and lust off of our sin off of our skin and we see ourselves in a certain way but i'm here to say to you today why are you doing that Why are you treating yourself, why are you dealing with yourself according to your sin? God doesn't do it for you. If God doesn't deal with you according to your sin, why do you insist on doing it for yourself? 
you know, with some of us in here, we need to really stop putting like people like, sorry, John Michael, people like John Michael or Marcus or some of the leaders here in this house, stop putting them on a pedestal and then going, oh, you know, they're so holy and they're so righteous and I'm just such a failure. Stop that. Stop doing that. God doesn't see you like that. You know, some of us in here, uh, some of us may have done some horrible things in here. Some very secret, dark things. Things that we did while we're taking leadership training, God forbid. <laughs> you know, actually, there, there, there are people that you know, and this is a beautiful thing about this house is uh, there's a freedom and acceptance here. Uh, even if you sit in a, in a very heinous way, in a very bad way, people still find a freedom in this house to come and talk to me directly. And, that, and that, you know, I'm thinking, you know, don't you ever think that I'm going to like be disappointed with you or that I might condemn you or I might be like, man, how could you? You were taking leadership training at that time. You were a reserve leader. How could you do that? Don't you ever fear that I'm going to do that? And no, they, 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 just, they, just, they just go, no. <laughs> I'm, glad. I'm glad. I think I'm doing something right if, if, if people... Now, I'm not saying everybody in the house is like that, but a lot of the leadership has, you know, and they've just been honest with me. And then, and then some of them, after they spill and they're, they're honest about everything, and they told, like, they're a smuggle bleeder, but they didn't get to tell me. So they just felt like they need to tell me. So they tell me. And they, they just sit there, and they're just like, what's going to happen now? And I'm like, all right. I'm glad you shared. Are you done with that sin? Yes. All right. And thanks for sharing. You're forgiven. That's it. Just move forward from here. Person's like, that's it? Yeah, that's it. God doesn't deal with you according to your sin. And I don't plan to either. He doesn't repay you according to your iniquity. And I sure don't want to either. You know, that term, God doesn't repay us according to our iniquity, is a powerful, it's a powerful verse. Now, most of us don't quite get it, but let me, let me help you get it today. <clears throat> let me show you how God is supposed to and how God wants to repay you. This is how God should repay you according to your iniquity. All right. How do we know, how do we know, uh, how a person should be repaid for their iniquity? We look at the law of God. Okay. The law of God prescribes. Don't do this. But if you do, this is how that person is to be punished. Okay, let's take for example. This is a crazy law, one of the one of the weird, weird bizarre laws in the Old Testament. But if you ever get in a fight with another man, and in the process of that fight, there's a pregnant lady that's hanging around and watching and going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit him, hit him. And you accidentally hit the pregnant woman. 
And then when the pregnant woman gives birth, the, the kid comes out without an eyeball? You're in trouble. Right? This is the law. They're, suppo- they're supposed to take out your eye. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's where it comes from. Because what will happen is these family members, when they have their children, their children are their livelihood. You know? If it's a daughter, you know, you get the dowry. If it's a son, you get the labor. You know, these children, they, they are, they're the economy. They help run the economy. And you just damage their goods. My son doesn't have an eyeball. What am I supposed to do? All I can do is just fold clothes or something. And so they demand payment from the other person that was involved in the fight. And in order to limit the amount of damage you can do on the other person for their carelessness, they, they would say eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I'm pretty sure that's the law. John Michael, you could check me on that. I've read that over and over again. I could be wrong, though. I could be wrong. I didn't look, read that passage before this sermon. All right? But I remember it from memory. But my memory is not always accurate. Okay, but let's go with another law. Let's, that's not a good example. Let's go with another law. Let's go with another law. Here's how you should be repaid for your iniquity. If... Our brother Noble, handsome young man. Let's say he gets married this summer. And by December of this year, after he gets married, all right, through some kind of CCTV at some love motel he shouldn't be going to, we find video footage of this handsome white man Getting it on with some girl that's obviously not his wife. All right. Now, according to Old Testament law, what we are supposed to do is we're supposed to go grab Noble as soon as possible. Grab the woman that's been doing the adultery with him. And if you were caught doing the adultery, you are supposed to get grabbed while you're in the actual act. So you're just supposed to be done right away. You're supposed to get dragged out. And Noble's like, you know, (laughs) what's going on? (laughs) It's the law of God. That's what's going on. (laughs) Get out of here, Noble. And this is what the law said to do. Drag Noble out and stone him to death. That seems a little harsh for just one night of passion. If nobody knows, nobody gets hurt. What's the big deal? What's the big deal with a little affair? Okay, but let me speak on behalf of those in this room whose parents' marriage was shaken up or destroyed because one of the parents was involved with an adulterous affair. Can I speak on behalf of all those in this room that experienced that? And answer the question, what's the big deal? Let me tell you what the big deal is. Jacks up your children. Messes them up. Steals away their childhood. Makes them all confused about their identity. You take away their stability. Children were not meant to grow up in an unstable environment. A mother and father are supposed to provide that kind of loving, stable environment for healthy growth. But guess what? For Because of your little, little fling, 
even though you're still in the marriage, in, like legally, you checked out. Your heart checked out a while ago. And it's just eventual time before it gets exposed. And then, and then not only do your children have to deal with it, your cousins, your uncles, everyone else has, has now got to deal with it. If you're part of a church, the whole church community has to now deal with it. Can you imagine what this church plant would have to go through if Noble got married and then had an adulterous affair? We'd be like, man, Noble was such a nice guy. I don't understand what happened. Yeah, man, I used to just chill with Noble. He was my small group leader. Now I'm not a Christian. (laughs) I mean, seriously, those are the types of testimonies that come forth. You know what I mean? It jacks people up, not only in regular family, but in a family of faith. If it's the praise eater, even worse. If it's the lead pastor or a preacher in the house, even worse. What's the big deal with an adulterous, adulterous affair with a little fling? Well, I'll tell you what's, what's bad about that. It affects and harms a whole lot of people. And the damages you've caused from one night of passion... It takes years to bring healing. So you think stoning is not an appropriate punishment? God thinks differently. He says, this must be purged. And it needs to be a public stoning, not a private one where you get injected with a needle. No, you get publicly stoned to death. This is a terrible thing. But the law of God said this is what must happen for those who commit this iniquity. It is to put the fear of the Lord within anyone else who's thinking about adultery. It's pretty intense, right? Well, let's go back to Psalm 103. God does not deal with us according to our sin. Nor does he repay us according to our iniquity. Do you understand how good news that is for us today? That's some good news. If, if we didn't have this good news, if God dealt with us, if he repaid us according to our iniquity, half of y'all will be dead. <laughs> I know all y'all, all y'all stories. And... <laughs> Half of y'all would have been killed by the law. <laughs> like we would have all had to stone you somehow at some point. I mean, praise the Lord that we don't have, God doesn't repay us according to our iniquity. Now, the, the cool thing, the cool thing is who wrote this psalm? David. You know that David committed adultery? And that David should have been stoned for that? No matter what his position In fact, he didn't just commit adultery. He committed first-degree murder. He set Uriah up to be killed at the front lines of battle. So when David says this, he means it. He's like, I have been meditating on the law day and night, and the law says something. The law says this, but... Through the word of prophets and through what God has been speaking to me in the, His presence, God has said that's not going to happen. So bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I don't understand how it happens, 
But all I know is God is providing forgiveness for me. He forgives my iniquity. He heals my disease. He treats me not according to my sin, nor does he repay me according to my iniquity. How was David able to experience this? How was David able to to experience this kind of grace on the Old Testament side of the cross? How? Well, if you know theologically, this is how. We as Christians, when we sin today, we don't expect ourselves to get stoned to death, right? Amen? Hallelujah. I hope none of y'all believe that because I'm telling you right now, that won't happen to you. We don't expect that. Why? Because on this side of the cross, what? We believe in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. To be the atonement, to be the propitiation, to be the removal of God's wrath from the anger that he has on our sin. Right? The blood of Christ atones for, forgives our sin. We believe that. And the way we believe that is because we never met Jesus. Anyone in here like met Jesus physical in the flesh? If you did, please come talk to me afterward. Some of y'all may have had a crazy supernatural but Most of us have not, right? Most of us didn't even see the crucifixion. But we read about it, and it happened about 2,000 years ago. So we believe what is being said here in the psalm by looking back at the cross. Well, here's the thing with David. How is he able to say these things and experience this grace when he hasn't, Jesus hasn't even been born yet? How? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans, right? We look back at the cross. King David was looking ahead to the cross. He didn't know all the detail. I don't know how much he figured out. But there was a lot of revelation he did receive in the, t- in the tabernacle of David. This continual 24-hour praise and worship going on. And he would get these amazing song lyrics. And these song lyrics were actually prophecies describing the death of Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was actually words that Jesus was going to eventually speak on the cross. Not just the song lyrics of David. David was able to experience the grace of God. And not get stoned to death. And experience these amazing benefits. Because he was looking forward to the cross. But make no mistake about it. For us to enjoy any of the benefits that God gives upon us, it's all because of the cross of Jesus Christ. He does not deal with us according to our sin. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquity. So let us stop doing that for ourselves. And you know what? Let's stop doing that for others. Let me get on John Michael a little bit. People like John Michael, and I'm not saying this is John Michael, but people that are like John Michael, that have certain vices that they haven't dealt with yet, people that tend to have really great quiet times, and they're able to stay away from sins, and live a fairly righteous, you know, like holy, pure life, people like that, they can have a trap and a tendency to treat others according to their sins. Because they have such a clean record, they feel like they're justified to condemn others. Kind of like what the Pharisees did for the tax collectors, for the prostitutes, and even for Jesus. 
There's some of us in here, we're like goody-goody two-shoes. Like, is that how you say it? We're goody-goodies. Because, you know, we, we never really had a hard day in our life. Or, or we, had a, we, we had one hard day in our life. <laughs> we had a pretty good, and our Christian lives are going pretty good. And we think that because of that, we can stand on that and say, you know what? I'm going to treat you like this because I know what you've done. Here's the thing. If God doesn't treat you according to your sins and he doesn't treat others according to their sins, those who are in Christ, then you shouldn't do that either for others. You know what I'm saying? And you shouldn't let anyone else do that to you. You know what I'm saying? Why am I saying that also? <laughs> if, if you have a failure or you mess up, Right, And there's somebody in your life that you love and they love you. If they're going, man, you're such a mess up. How could, you, how could you do that? And you're like, yeah, I'm such a mess up. Did you confess? Yeah, I confessed. Did you repent? Yeah, I repented. Did you renounce it? Yeah, I renounced it. Well, you're still a scumbag. You're still a failure. You're still a loser. How could you do that? If somebody else is doing that, please do me a favor and stop them. If God doesn't do that for you, why should should you let your mom do that to you? You know, man, it is a shame. Marriage, Marriage brings out the best in people, but marriage brings out the best in people while bringing out the worst in people. I can't talk about this too much. <clears throat> no, I mean, it has to do with Aaron. I mean, I could tie it back to a story with our story, but, uh, you know, it's to do with the, the leaders that I see as they're getting into courtships and marriage relationships. I mean, it's a shame what, what like, parents say. It's, it's, it's like, terrible. You know? Like, uh, Korean parents are really harsh. And I, I I can't share this because I didn't get Aaron's permission, but I could share like under another example where, like, um, yeah, Korean parents are harsh. <laughs> I would love to give you an example, but I I didn't get permission. But anyway, Korean parents don't let Korean parents, you know. Let's say like. Let's say, uh, let's just use an example, a hypothetical, but I'll try to make it accurate to a real life situation. But let's say like, I don't know, like, let's say Diana suck. All right, let's say Diana suck. In a couple months, uh, we have a preaching class. Diana suck takes the preaching class and she discovers she has a public speaking gift. And Diana gets up here and Diana's like, <laughs> And she starts to preach the word of God with authority and power. We send her on a mission trip and she preaches the word of God with authority and power. And the whole house, we're so edified. And we all testify that she's moving in signs and wonders and miracles. And she's preaching the word of God with boldness and authority. Everybody sees the fruit. We're all celebrating it. 
And then the moment she tells her mom, let's say, let's say hypothetically, she tells her mom and it's like, hey, mom, I started preaching over at uh, my home church because I discovered that I actually have a public speaking gift. And her mom goes, you? Public speaking gift? Don't you need to go to seminary first before you do that? Yeah, I, I think there's something wrong with your church because uh, they shouldn't be letting you preach. You don't know enough about the Bible. You're going to make all kinds of mistakes. Are you kidding me? What? Yeah, yeah, maybe over in some small village in Indonesia, but you should, you should really not preach anymore here there in Korea. It's very dangerous. I, I want to talk to your, uh, your pastor. That just doesn't sound... Are you, and, and, and Diana's going, Mom, I thought you were... You will celebrate. Right? And her mom's just like, no, I know you. I know you, daughter. I know what you did in high school. I know how you were in college. I know your sunkyuk. Your, uh, I know your character. What are, what is, what's sunkyuk in, in personality? I know your personality. You're like manipulative. You're, you're always, you're always, your motives are always tainted somehow. You're always like, you're selfish. Psh, can't believe they let you preach out, out that crazy church. What kind of denomination is it? Current parents always ask, accusing us of being a cult. And it's... it's and it's a shame. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. We need to rise up. Even if our moms say that to us, they'd be like, Mom, I got a new beginning. Thank you very much. And I'm making good on what I believe the Word of God says. God, don't deal with me according to all the crazy, stupid stuff I did in, in college and high school. I'm a new creation. You ain't no new creation. I know you, daughter. When did the Korean moms turn black? <laughs> now, mind you, when they do when they do speak in Korean, it sounds it's got a little bit of like 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 a little black twang in it. When Korean moms like really start speaking their mind, don't let don't let nobody speak to you like that, really. Or if they're not going to listen to you, then let them then let them air out whatever opinions they want to air out, but don't let it touch your identity. Don't let it touch what God is doing in your life. Because when he sees you, he's removed that iniquity from you as far as the east is from the west. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I want, I want you guys to close your eyes for a moment right now. I'm just going to close service here. <coughs> and close my message. But uh, before I close my message, I just want to give an opportunity for anyone in here. And if you struggle with self-esteem issues, self-hatred, or there's like a voice in your head constantly accusing you, constantly putting you down, I just want to invite you today. The, the Word of God says in Hebrews 4.12 that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. 
I want to invite you today to get set free by the sword of the Spirit. That the sword of the Spirit will cut you free from all those patterns and lies. The only reason why those accusations and condemnations continue to replay in your head is because you've been allowing it. And Jesus, and, and, and the word of God says here in Psalm 103, God is saying pretty much, forget not all my benefits. I forgive all your sin. So stop replaying that cassette over and over again. Stop replaying those accusations over and over again. I disallow it and you need to disallow it too. There's people in here and you struggle with self-hatred. Or you struggle with believing whether you're truly forgiven or not. And you're just constantly hard on yourself. You're constantly just feeling distant from God because you feel so dirty before God. I want you to stand up. And I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. That's you. I want you to stand to your feet. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, just draw each person that has any prayer need, Lord, right now. Mm. I'm going to have some of the pastors come forward here. Blessed be the Lord, O oh, my soul, and everything within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh, my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. God is the God who forgives all our iniquity. The things that you've done, they don't define who you are. Whether it's a job or whether it is a sin. Or whether it is patterns of sinful living. When you come before the Father. And you got your I'm sorry speech ready. The Father doesn't even hear it. He just looks at you. He looks at your heart. And he just welcomes you back and says. Let me put a new robe on you. Let me give you your true identity. You've been identifying with all these failures and sins. But it's time for you to begin to believe who I say you are and stand in that identity. Hallelujah. All right, if you're, standing, if you're one of the few that are standing to, in, uh, for this prayer, I want you to come forward and I'm, I'll have our pastors pray for you right now. Megan, just come here to the front and we'll just take maybe five minutes just to pray for you pray for you and just break things off in the spirit realm establish things in your mind and in your heart we're just going to use psalm 103 like a sword just to cut you loose diane can you come, come all other people that are on the altar team come forward all right let's start praying for people here at the altar and let's just pray for them yeah, thank you jesus thank you lord bless the lord bless the lord oh my soul